Welcome to The Honest Report. A weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. The Islamic State group posted a video calling on Palestinians to attack Israeli soldiers and civilians. At least five killed in B'nai Brak after the assailant went on a shooting spree firing from a motorcycle. Here's your host, Rob Walker. When it comes to reporting on Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, nuance isn't exactly something often seen in the news media. Whether disdainfully referring to them as illegal Jewish settlements, claiming that their existence violates international law, or even that they are the single largest obstacle to peace between Israelis and Palestinians, it can be hard to separate truth from fiction and try to understand the reality of these communities. Our guest this week will be sharing a unique viewpoint not often seen in the news media, that these Jewish communities are not only not obstacles to peace, but in fact might be the opposite. Since arriving from the United States in Israel in 2002, Josh Haston has been at the forefront of Israel's public diplomacy efforts. Josh is currently the international spokesperson for the Gush Etzion communities in Israel. He's also hosted the weekly radio program Israel Uncensored. He's a well-known award-winning freelance journalist and he's a sought-after guest for television interviews on current events in Israel, having appeared on CNN, BBC, Sky News, and more. Welcome to the Honest Report Podcast. Josh, welcome to the Honest Report Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Uh, it's, our, uh, it's our pleasure. So you are the spokesperson for the, uh, the Jewish community of Gush Etzion. Uh, tell us, for our listeners, where exactly is Gush Etzion as it relates to Jerusalem? Yeah, absolutely. Gush Etzion is a cluster of communities about 15 to 20 kilometers just south of Jerusalem. There are currently 22 communities in our municipality. That's the Gush Etzion Regional Council. In addition to the community of Efrat, which is almost really a city right now, they are uh, physically located here in Gush Etzion, but because they're so big, they are under their own jurisdiction. They have their own mayor, own uh, services for the residents. And there's also the community of Beitar Elite, physically is in Gush Etzion, but they are an ultra-Orthodox community with over 50,000 residents, and um, they're also on their own because of their size. Uh, they have eight or nine new kindergartens open every fall because of a very high birth rate in that community. So they're also part of Gush Etzion. If you add everything up in terms of population, you're talking about 100,000 uh, Jewish Israelis living here in our beautiful area. Now, this, of course, is outside of the, so to speak, green line, um, which was not in Israel's possession prior to the Six-Day War, correct? Correct. Yeah, this was a, an area which was illegally occupied by the Jordanians from the uh, end of the War of Independence in 1949 until 1967. Israel uh, reclaimed these areas in a defensive war of survival, of course, the Six-Day War, um, and those orphans and widows of those who were killed here in 48 came back in September of 1967 and rebuilt and, of course, expanded the, those communities. There were four communities here before the establishment of the state of Israel in the 40s. So in 67, September, the orphans and widows come back. And when they were, this area had zero Jews uh, in September of 67, we now have 100,000. So it's a it's an unbelievable story, the history of Gush Etzion, both, uh, both biblical and uh, pre-state and current. 
Now, I, I'm sure I, I don't need to tell you, of course, how so much of uh, the news media, of course, portrays communities like, like Gush Etzion um, as an obstacle to peace. Um, how do you see it? So the way I really see it is as follows. And if you're listening and you're with Honest Reporting, so you are day to day paying attention to what the media is saying about the situation in Israel and the situation here in Judea and Samaria. So if you truly listen to what the Arabs are saying uh, when they talk about obstacles to peace or whatnot, and those areas they refer to as settlements, they're not actually talking about only Gush Etzion or Efrat or Bet El or any of these other communities. They're talking about all of Israel. Okay, I remember distinctly in the 2014 war that Israel had with Hamas, and Hamas radio was broadcasting how they were firing rockets onto the settlement or into the settlement of Sterot. Mm -hmm. um, just and unfortunately, a few months ago, we had a, a wave of uh, terror attacks. One of them was in Beersheba, where a few Jews were unfortunately murdered in a knife terror attack carry, carried out by an Arab uh, terrorist there. And I remember the statement released by the Islamic Jihad uh, terror organization, which said, which praised rather the terror attack in the seg in the settlement of Beersheba, the negative settlement of Beersheba. So, in other words, it doesn't matter if you're talking about Gushitzion or you're talking about Akko or Jaffa or any, any of these other communities. Uh, the true goal is, as they say in he in Arabic in the media. And unfortunately, in the school system, I just saw a horrible video today of these kids being indoctrinated to hate and violence. They are talking about from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Um, I actually, one other story here, an anecdote here. I was just on a uh, media tour about two weeks ago, and we went into Area B, which is under Israeli security control and the Palestinian Authority municipal control. So therefore, I was allowed into that area. And there was a shrine, um, like a town square almost dedicated to arch-terrorist Yasser Arafat. His picture was there. And there was a map behind his, uh, like a bust of his head. Behind that was a map of all of Israel. And it was in the colors of the Palestinian Authority or PLO flag. Um, and it wasn't just Gush Tzion, It was literally the entire country from the Golan all the way down to Eilat. So that's really how um, the enemies of Israel view us. They view us as one big settlement so that, that that's that's the that's the true uh situation here on the ground even though when you're talking about the international media and coverage of israel the focus and obsession really it's really an obsession is on the communities which were established in our biblical heartland uh after the defensive war of survival in 1967 the obsession is there but it's really an issue that involves the entire country it's all about the entire country of israel that's certainly true. Now, now you were a proponent of seeing the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, obviously often called sort of settlements uh, by the news media, not merely not as an obstacle to peace, which obviously they typically are uh, described as such in the media, but in fact, as one of uh, the best shots for peace. What do you mean by that? Well, absolutely. You know, those who advocate, in my opinion, for a two state solution, which is actually uh, in my opinion, a, uh, a recipe for the destruction of the state of Israel would pose an existential threat. They're talking about separation. We'll have Jews on this side, whether it's the security barrier as a border, so to speak, Jews on this side, Arabs on the other side. Uh, we don't believe in that. That's actually that plan of separation. We view that as 
as more of a racist plan, a separation plan. We have Arabs who live here in Gush Etzion, and they, if they were willing to admit it, they would prefer, and the numbers actually uh, show this, they would prefer to live under Israeli control than under the corrupt Palestinian Authority, which persecutes against women, against journalists, against minorities. The fact that there are Jews living in these areas actually provides many more opportunities for our neighbors. And I, as I, I just spoke to a, uh, a visiting uh, group earlier today, uh, as I told him, you know, real opportunities for coexistence, which I call relative coexistence, and I'll explain in a second, uh, exist because we Jews and Arabs work together, shop together, are alongside each other each and every day. The problem is, is it doesn't go both ways. It doesn't go both ways because if, let's say, Arabs and Jews are working together here in the Gush Etzion Junction, which is a very popular spot where you actually can see that for yourselves. If a Jew has a bar mitzvah in his family, a wedding or whatnot, he can invite his uh, fellow colleague, his co-worker, his Arab, to come and join him in the happy occasion. However, the Jew, if he's invited by his Arab colleague, he cannot go, according to the Israeli law, he cannot go into areas of Hebron, Hebron, Beit Lechem, Bethlehem, because those are under control of the Palestinian Authority. Those are in areas A, under exclusive Palestinian Authority control. And the irony is here, since we started uh, the Oslo peace process back in the 90s, it has only pushed peace further down the road. It has not brought us together where Jews and Arabs actually used to go and, and shop together in Bethlehem and in Gaza City and all these other places. That has uh, ceased as a result of security barriers, fences, um, and these different agreements, whereas Jews and Arabs actually see less of each other, even though there is relative coexistence, they see less of each other because of this vision, this two-state vision, which is, you know, pushed us further away from each other, farther apart and further away from peace and has not brought us closer together. Right. I mean, one certainly remembers, uh, I'm sure you do as well, in 2000, the lynching uh, of two Israeli soldiers in, uh, in Ramallah, where the, uh, the reservists uh, had sort of accidentally made their way into Ramallah and were brutally murdered. You remember the pictures of one of the assailants sort of holding his bloodstained hands. You know, obviously, that was a very memorable, uh, memorable image. You know, you talked about seeing that, uh, that memorial to Arafat with the, the Palestinian flag covering all of, you know, the river to the sea. Why is it, I mean, you're on the ground, of course, why is it that you think that there seems to be a bit of a blind spot when it comes to how the Palestinian Authority, certainly Hamas, but uh, even the Palestinian Authority and much of the uh, discourse really seeks to delegitimize Israel's existence? And that's whether in communities like Gush Etzion or whether in Tel Aviv. Why is it that this kind of reality just doesn't seem to be reported in the West? It's not out there because, and Yasser Arafat you know, was a master at this, and, uh, you know, and, and those from his day, by the way, let's remember the PLO was founded in 1964, three years, three years before any so-called settlement even existed. The problem is, is that when the leadership speaks to a world community, when the cameras are rolling, when CNN is on, they say one thing, they promise peace. Even just now, the visit between President Biden and Mahmoud Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas spoke again. I think he mentioned the so-called peace of the brave which was Arafat's catchphrase. When the cameras are rolling, the international media is paying attention. 
Um, they talk about peace and coexistence and harmony and all these other things. But when you are watching official Palestinian Authority television, of course, when you're listening to what Hamas says openly, when you see the official, the official PA television shows for children, when you see the Palestinian Authority issued textbooks, when you see the textbooks actually used by UNRWA, uh, in schools which they control under the Palestinian Authority and even in Jerusalem. When you see what they're actually saying in Arabic, then you get a true picture. And I'm, ta- I'm telling people out there, you don't have to listen to, let's say, you know, where there are organizations out there like Palestinian Media Watch and Memory and others who translate what is being spewed and the hate and incitement being spewed in the Palestinian Authority official textbooks and schools and media. Don't pay attention to the commentary if you don't want to. If you think they're too right-wing or what, don't pay attention. Just listen and look at the translations word for word. What I saw this horrible, I mentioned it before, this horrible video today of this Mickey Mouse type character talking to these kids, feeding them with lies that the Jews are desecrating the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that Israel is digging tunnels under the mosque so that it will collapse. And the only path in Islam is jihad. This is what the kids are being taught when the cameras aren't rolling, when CNN isn't uh, filming. So you really have people have to pay attention, not to what is shown in the mainstream media, of course not when it's shown in English, but really understand and examine what's being taught to the next generation of children, what's being taught in the schools, what's being uh, taught, unfortunately, being preached by some of these guys in the mosques, and what is, uh, what is part of the official Palestinian Authority uh, media. So that's really what people need to focus on. I think they'll get a more accurate picture of what is on the minds of the PA and certainly Hamas when it comes to all these issues. And, and certainly, I mean, you mentioned UNRWA, of course, that um, as you shared uh, last week, um, obviously UNRWA is uh, funded in, in large part by Western donors. Uh, and the states just uh, announced um, a $200, $200 million increase uh, in funding uh, for, uh, for UNRWA. So it certainly seems that... Uh, this challenge of incitement, uh, unfortunately, uh, will likely be perpetuated for uh, for some time. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, under the, you know, how many refugees? This is an organization supposed to be dedicated to resettling, rehabilitating refugees. And in the case of UNRWA, I don't think they've resettled one single refugee. This is the only organization which somehow uh, not only refugees or so-called refugees, uh, the uh, the status if you will, extends not only to the children, but, but the grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You're talking about two, three generations post the 1948 war. So UNRWA's goal is to perpetuate the conflict. They are not resettling. They're not encouraging a better life for, let's say, the Arabs who fled here in 1948 if they are in Syria or if they are in Jordan. They're not trying to make their lives better. They are teaching them in the classrooms. They're handing them keys and they are teaching them you have the so-called right of return. One day you're going to go back to Jaffa and to Akko and to Haifa, and those will be your homes, which is code for the destruction of the state of Israel. UNRWA perpetuates that. It's the only uh, organization um, that handles refugees, which is, has one, one population, while all other refugee issues in the world are handled by another UN organization. This one situation, this one issue, has its own personal uh, so-called refugee organization dealing with it, but they're not dealing with it. They're perpetuating the conflict and inciting to violence and hatred and terrorism each and every day um, with no end in sight. I mean, we almost, it looked like 
that UNRWA was going to be, because of the defunding by the last administration in Washington, it looked like we were headed in the right direction. But unfortunately, um, you know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, it looks like we're headed down that path again, unfortunately, with the, with the Biden administration going back to the failed policies of Obama and some of his predecessors. So just in the interest of time, before we wrap up, I mean, obviously, we've talked about not only the, the impact, unfortunately, a lot of the incitement that's taking place, uh, but also some of the relationships that uh, local Palestinians really living in the same communities around Gush Etzion. Um, and you were saying that really, if, if they were able to speak openly and candidly and honestly about their preferences, many of them would prefer to live under sort of Israeli uh, jurisdiction. Tell us a little bit about some of the Palestinians or some of the interactions that you've been able to have uh, with your neighbors um, who are able to be maybe candid with you, not publicly, Josh, but uh, but more privately. I mean, what's your relationship uh, like with them? Again, the kinds of stories that we don't read about in the West. What people don't realize is that most of the communities here in Judea and Samaria have uh, Arabs who work inside the communities on a daily basis. In other words, this is their source of income. Um, and Arabs who work in Jewish communities make seven times more than they do under the Palestinian Authority. Look, the majority of, of Arabs in these areas, even with all the hate and incitement or whatnot, they just want to, like everyone else, go to work um, each and every day, support their families, come home, lead normal, peaceful lives. I was still just telling my guests earlier today that 95 or 99% of the time, things here are peaceful and quiet. And it's because of the Israeli presence here. But if you go into the Palestinian Authority, into the corruption, into the persecution of those minorities, which I spoke about before, um, you see what the, what the life really is like for those living there. People are living, are scared. Uh, journalists, minorities, you, you can't, um, you know, you, you can't expect a, a fruitful future when you are living in fear, when your uh, economic situation isn't as good as it could be. And Israeli presence provides that, um, you know, years after uh, Israel left Gaza in 2005, you had uh, Arabs who were living in Gaza, who were still in touch with their former neighbors from Gush Katif, calling them, asking them, when are you going to come back? When is Israel going to come retake these areas? We're living under the brutal Hamas regime here in Gaza. So that, that is the reality. And the statistics, for those who are willing to speak, the, the statistics are going up in terms of those who would uh, prefer to live under Israel. On the negative side, at the same time, you have other statistics which, which show that the uh, residents who live under the Palestinian Authority prefer Hamas. So it's two extremes there. You have those who want to lean towards Hamas and those who want to lean uh, towards Israel. In other words, the Palestinian Authority is more and more irrelevant as we go. So, you know, my suggestion, my advice, and I'm not obviously not calling the shots here, is I would definitely prefer a situation where Israel would have more control over areas, if you want to say, start with area C, um, you know, then uh, the Palestinian Authority. And certainly, I don't want to see Hamas taking over any uh, strategic areas within area C. But we're, we're unfortunately, as a result of uh, the land grabs being carried out, endorsed by the PA, and everything going on, uh, it could be that one day Hamas will, uh, God forbid, but Hamas will take over those areas. So, um, the best solution, 
And there's no perfect solution. Uh, the best solution is Israel to maintain control over these areas. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, for your, uh, for your time today and for your insight. And uh, uh, looking forward to following your, uh, your work on behalf of your community. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our mailing list, our podcast channel, and follow us on social media for the most up-to-date news. If you like what you've heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts at www.honestreporting.ca slash donate. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.